Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here this morning. Our key scripture today comes from John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there. Jesus said, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How can you tell if someone is a Christian or not? Can you tell by looking at someone? Are there clothes that you can wear that are some sort of outward sign? Uh, I wasn't here last Sunday, as many of you know, and I was not here for the stupidest reason on the face of the planet. I had the hiccups. Um, I had them for 12 hours straight, and then I had them continuing up until the roughly 20th hour. So last Saturday, I was at the Kaiser Pharmacy picking up a prescription for muscle relaxers. And while I was waiting for muscle relaxers, I loved to watch people, and there were a lot of interesting people. There are always a lot of interesting people at the Kaiser Pharmacy. And there was one such gentleman who, he looked like he had just been living pretty rough. Um, He had a big, gray, bushy beard, and you could see the end of a tattoo, which, as you know, I'm not opposed to tattoos, but it was coming down the front of his forehead, that I could see something coming down here, but he had, he had a beanie on, and he just kind of looked rough. And sometimes if you like to watch people, like I like to watch people, you see how other people respond to someone who looks like that. Well, then the greatest thing happened. This other guy comes in, sees him, and is like, hey, and he walks over, and they give each other this big hug, and it turns out they had both either worked or spent time at the mission, And they spent like two minutes talking very loudly in the middle of the Kaiser Pharmacy about how it is their faith that is keeping them strong and on the right path. Now, on the opposite side of that coin, when I meet people and I tell them that I am a pastor, they say, really? You don't look like a pastor, which I sometimes view that as a compliment and sometimes I don't. Um, But you can't really tell by looking at someone. So can you tell by the way that someone talks, by what they say or don't say? I have had a lot of friends who have disagreed uh, on even how you should talk about Jesus in public. Some have said uh, that they, excuse me, that they want Jesus to be spoken about and to be the explicit stated reason for everything that they do. And I've had others who said, well, they don't want to talk about Jesus because then that will make other people feel uncomfortable and they would rather just let their actions speak for them. Can you tell by what someone watches on TV or doesn't watch? Maybe the kind of music they listen to? Are they wearing a cross? Does that mean that they're a Christian? Even if we could reliably identify outward signs that someone is a Christian, things don't get any less complicated from there. Because then, what kind of a Christian are you? For example, are you Baptist? Southern Baptist? 
Southwide Baptist Fellowship, Conservative Baptist Association, Conservative Baptist Fellowship, Old Line Primitive Baptist, Progressive Primitive Baptist. I could go on, but I'm not going to. So let's just cut to the chase. There is a way, a definitive way, definitive, to tell that someone is a follower of Jesus Christ. They will love other people. And they will love those people as Jesus has loved them. Now that seems simple enough, and yet I would argue that that is one of the greatest deficits of Christian faith in our country right now. We do not really love one another. And we certainly don't love one another like Jesus has loved us. We might say that we do. We might even act like we do. But really, I'm not convinced. And I'm not the only one. We can't forget that when Jesus said these words in John chapter 13, he had just finished doing something extraordinary. The Son of God, the creator of the world, the maker of all things, had stripped down to his undies, wrapped a towel around his waist, grabbed a basin of water, and went around washing the dirt and yuck off the feet of the disciples. Last night, I was sitting on the couch watching a movie with Jed, and Jed at first gave me the business end, which was his feet as he lay down on the couch, and his socks were wet. Mm. <laughs> feet are gross, people, and we wear shoes all day. We don't walk around in streets that are filled with dirt and the remnants of animals that have been walking around in front. But to take it a step further, he not only washed these dirty, yucky, stinky feet, he washed the feet of the person that was about to leave the room and sell him out. Not just leave the room and say something bad about him, but go betray him to those who were going to show up and kill him. And let's not also forget that within 24 hours, Jesus would be dead on the cross. Why? Because he loves us. And praise God above that he loves us in a different way than we love other people. Amen? He gave up everything he deserved, all that he was owed. He suffered insults, pain, and agony that would break anyone, and he died. And he did all of these things because he loves us. And so I ask you this morning, how can, some, how can you tell if someone is a follower of Jesus? They will love. But it's not going to look like anything else you see on the market. So what does that actually look like? And what does it look like in your life? Okay, uh, as we get started here this morning, um, I, I just thought about this right now, so uh, you, you don't have to do this, um, but I want to just throw this out here to you. Um, you can do this mentally, but it might be useful for you to write this down. There are little notepads in, in, in the front seat in front of you. So I, I want you to think about two names this morning. 
okay? So just, just think about two names. Uh, the first name is someone that has hurt you at some time and you are still feeling that hurt, okay? Number one. Uh, number two is someone that you know you have hurt that is still feeling that hurt. Okay, so maybe you can do this mentally. Um, well, I know you can do it mentally, because if you can write it down, you know, then you can do this mentally. We have been looking at what it means to live life in the Spirit, and we have uh, established that we believe that the Spirit is a dynamic part of the life that God intends for us to lead meaning that we believe that the Spirit is active and moving and making things happen in all of our lives. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And Paul refers to this action in the book of Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit. So from Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, also known as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay, so... It's, it's been a couple of weeks, but we, we made some pretty important points a couple of weeks ago. And the first one is that we need to remember that these things are not the fruit of us, right? So in other words, it's not about, I am going to try so hard to love, and that's how I'm going to fulfill this scripture, all right? It's not the fruit of us, but it is the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that the only way we can accomplish this thing that Paul is laying out in front of us is if we are led by the Spirit. Look at what he says there in those verses. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if I am counting on my own efforts and abilities to produce these things I will fail because I can only take them so far. And what Paul is talking about here is not what I can produce in my own life, but what the Spirit of God can produce in my life. And those two things are different. What I can produce and what the Spirit can produce, those two things are different. This point was really evident when we started to look at the first fruit, which is love. Uh, and one of the main things we tried to notice uh, uh, just a couple weeks ago is that our brand of love is very different from God's brand of love. Our way of loving others, even in um, our most uh, ingrained and personal relationships, our way of loving others is conditional. If we are going to love, we expect something in return. 
We want to be loved back. We want to be respected and held in great value. Our love, in a lot of ways, is earned. And we talked about sort of even like in our marriages and things, how that starts and and how we sometimes draw lines and things within these relationships. And if our love is not reciprocated or earned, or if we don't feel like we are being loved in the way that we want to be loved— then we will abandon some of these relationships. God's love, on the other hand, is, con- is unconditional. And it's unconditional because it doesn't start with someone succeeding and earning love. It starts with absolute failure. That's what makes it unconditional. God's love would be like us when you were uh, single and dating and looking for a spouse, it would be like, you know, deciding you want to spend your life with a man or woman that everyone was telling you is the wrong choice. And yet you choose it anyway. From Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's greatest expression of his love, as Randy read this morning, the reason why we know what love is, is because Christ Jesus died for us. Think about that statement for a moment. Think about what he's really saying in that scripture. He, have people never heard the word love before he wrote that scripture? Did people think that they loved other people before that scripture was written? Did people think they understood the love of God before he put that on paper? Yes, but what does he say? This is how you know what love is, which means that whatever understanding they had of love before Jesus was not an accurate description of what love actually is. Think about that for a moment. From creation until somewhere around 60 AD, people did not understand what love really was. Not until Jesus went to the cross and not until people started to explain what that was and and why it meant so much and how that embodied love. But what I struggle with beyond that is that God's greatest expression, the sacrifice of his son, it came not when we had made everything right, but it came knowing that we were terrible. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God knew when this happened that we would never be worthy. But he loved us anyway. Now, here's where we, we like that part of this. You know? And we like that part because it reinforces that God really, really loves us. And we need that. We need that reinforcement. We need that knowledge that God loves us in spite of our faults. But there is a complication. 
in this whole formula. And that is that we are called to love others in the same way that God has loved us. And the complication, that's not really the complication, the complication is the way that God loves, as we've already stated, is not the most natural way for us to love other people. Which means this. We are not going to dumb our way into loving other people like God does. Do you hear me? We are not going to dumb our way into loving other people like God does because the way that God loves is not natural to us and it does not play into some of our most base instincts. Called is really not even a strong enough word when I say that we're called to love like God does. We are actually uh, commanded to love like God loves. And this becomes hard for us because we have to, to a degree, if we're going to love other people like God loves, we have to be willing to turn off some of our own instincts and risk ourselves in order to do this. I want you to consider something. God chose to love us while we were still sinners, right? What guarantee did he have that we would then say, oh, thank you, Jesus is wonderful? None. So do you realize that God's love compelled him to give everything for people that did not earn it or deserve it without knowing that they would reciprocate it in any way. That is a risky endeavor. That's a terrible definition. <laughs> this is not what I want for this, but this is what God did. And so if we're called to love like God calls, we are going to have to turn off some of our anti-love radar <laughs> and risk ourselves. Now, we need to begin to think about what the implications of this are. The implications of this teaching that says that we need to love other people like God loves people. What does this mean for the people that we meet? What does this mean for the grudges we continue to hold? How does this affect relationships that we have? the people that we are in relationship with and the people that we are no longer in relationship with. But there's, there's, an even, there's an even more difficult question, which is this. Have we loved in a way that is natural to us but called it loving like God? God. 
have we rationalized why we should love like we do and then put God on our side of that because surely God wants this or that or the other for us. I bet you're wishing I would just sit down at this point. <laughs> um, but we're just on page two, so stick with me here. These teachings of Jesus have, uh, they have a great impact basically in, I think, in, in every part of our lives. Um, and it's for this reason, like sometimes I think that we choose not to love others for very arbitrary reasons. Um, someone gave us the creeps. Someone said something weird in a small group. Uh, so-and-so talks too loud. Uh, so-and-so doesn't talk enough. Did you see what so-and-so posted on Facebook? Oh, we're coming back to that. There are lots of reasons why we do not really love others. And sometimes it almost feels like we look for reasons not to love as opposed to looking for reasons to love. But we know as this sort of grand idea that we are supposed to love everyone because after all, God loves everyone and we're supposed to love like God, which has led us to one of the greatest rationalizations against love that I know of. And I think I even brought this up a couple weeks ago, but we're going to dig a little deeper here. Here it is. You ready? It's a classic. Oh, I love them. I just don't like them. Now, what does this thinking allow us to do? What does thinking allow us to do? Not have relationship. I love them, but I don't. And so think about this for a moment. Okay? Think about this for a moment. We have said I love them, so we've put the words out into the universe. You can't argue with me that I don't love them because I've just said that I do. I do love them. But when I say I don't like them, what does that then allow me to do? Not be around them. And after all, we say, right, well, <laughs> you're not going to like everybody. True. And everyone is not going to like you. Well, that is not true for me, but it is probably true for you. Now, I know why we think this, and I know what we tell ourselves, and it's true. It is impossible, I think, to like everyone. And it is impossible to enjoy spending time with everyone. And there are people that you are just not going to get along with. All of that is fine and well. It is an unreasonable expectation to put on ourselves, we say that, and this cannot be what God is talking about. But here is the rub. When we do not like someone, we actively choose to not spend time with them. And we make no effort to be involved in their lives. And why would we? We don't like them. We just 
avoid them. I mean, we can maybe say hello and not be rude or something, but you know, like we don't put any of ourselves into these people. And here is the question that I rub up against in this scenario. Do I actually love them then? Is keeping distance from someone, not investing them at all, the same as loving them? Or have I altered the definition so that I don't have to be around someone I don't enjoy being around? Well, let's reverse engineer this guy. When you love someone, do you spend time with them? Do you think about them? Do you reach out to them if they're hurting? Do you invite them into your home? Therefore, if I, when I look at that, I, I realize that I love you but I don't like you is some sort of excuse that I've made to try to give me the room I want to choose who I love and don't. John, as we read this morning from chapter 13, uh, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are to love one another. As Jesus, there is a word in here that I don't know that I had ever seen before, even this morning. Look at what Jesus says. It is what kind of command? It's new. Haven't they heard love one another before? Then what's new about it? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So look at what he's doing. He is redefining what it means to love other people. Redefining it. You cannot define it the way that you used to, just like we saw from the passage that Randy read this morning. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We must realize that this willingness to love each other in spite of differences is what sets us apart as followers of Jesus Christ. That we are not keeping score. And that we are not looking to love people who agree with us on everything and who look like us and who like the same restaurants that we do, who smell right, that these are not the kinds of things we are looking for. It is our very willingness to accept others no matter where they come from that distinguishes us as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus had a miraculous ability. And it's not one that you've probably ever really appreciated before. Jesus had a miraculous ability to create community. 
Create community. He spent time with groups of people that had no friends. And you know what he did? He brought all of those people together to eat together, to have community together. And these people came to Jesus. Do you know why? Because here was someone who did not treat them like everything they had ever done wrong. They were people who were loved by God. I would have to imagine that Jesus look, looked some of these people in the eye and spoke to them as people maybe for the first time in years. In years. Was the last time they had had a conversation where someone just looked at them and said, Hi. How are you? Tell me about your day. Tell me about your family. Tell me about what you love and what you like. Jesus could create community. Now, let's think for a moment for how far reaching this idea is because it's big. It's a big, big, big idea. But it means um, that in this place where Jesus Christ is our teacher and we are his followers, it means that everyone is welcome. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything and our first value is what? belong, that you can be here. Well, but what if I'm blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah? You can be here. But what if I blah, 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 and blah, blah? No. Jesus redefines the way that we view community. And what does Jesus' community look like? Everyone is loved by God. And you can choose to be a part of it. Maybe in other places, things like the color of your skin or how much money you make or your political views or what you like and don't like or the clothes you wear, maybe in other places those things are important, but within the community of Jesus Christ, it's not important. Jesus was homeless and dirty. <laughs> and within his community, all could come. And this challenges me because it doesn't really leave me a leg to stand on. Because if I say I love that person but I don't like them, I'm lying. I'm lying about one of those things. And if I'm allowing whatever it is to keep me from a relationship with them, then I am not doing what Jesus has told me to do. Now, that's the easy part because it gets worse. Because Jesus extends these principles into our willingness to forgive. Um, it's one thing to talk about overcoming small, ultimately inconsequential things. Where are you from? What you like? What you do? You make me feel weird. <laughs> now, you know, it's, we can overcome those things. Um, it becomes something different altogether to talk about forgiving people who have hurt us. 
And I know how difficult this is, but let's dig for a moment into what Jesus has to say about this and then just see how we feel about it. On two different occasions, Jesus was instructing people on how to pray and how to communicate to God in an effective way and stay connected to him. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer an example of how to pray to God and the kinds of things that you should keep in mind when you talk to him. But right after the prayer, he gave his followers this message. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In Mark 11, Jesus is headed into Jerusalem with his disciples. Uh, He curses the fig tree, goes in and clears the temple, comes back out, and the fig tree is withered, and Peter points it out to Jesus. And and this was Jesus' response in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 25. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and will be yours. If you want to be connected to God, he says you have to pray with confidence, but then he says this, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And if that doesn't break through that tough candy shell that is our skulls, how about this from Luke 6, 37? Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Okay, so... We grew up learning about a God who loves us unconditionally. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. This is how we know what love is, that God loves us and accepts us. And all of this is true about God, but there is something striking that Jesus says multiple times about all of this, um, that there seems to be one thing that God cannot abide. Um. And that is our unwillingness to forgive other people. If you, and this is what is so challenging about the words that Jesus uses, is that Jesus goes ahead and does what we don't want him to do, and that is he makes our forgiveness from God conditional upon our willingness to forgive others. It's there. It's there. Um, Few things in the Bible when it comes to grace and love, are as explicit as our command to forgive. Which, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy, but that would seem to me to say that God thinks this is important. And yet, some of the people I have known to hold grudges the longest are Christians. That's in large part because I mostly know Christians. But still, the command is so serious that we are told to not even bother worshiping if you have a problem. Don't even bother. From Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So not only are we in danger of hell if we call someone a name, but before we make our offering, we are to leave our offering there. And keep in mind the idea that Jesus is communicating here. What he's saying is, and think about this, you've, you've walked up to church on Sunday morning, and you're ready to go in, and you're ready to worship. And in the back of your mind comes that name. The back of your mind comes that name. What does Jesus want you to do? Leave. Go find that person. Make things right. And then come back and worship. It is not okay for the followers of Christ to be unforgiving. And the snottiest, rattiest parable in the Bible is the story of the servant who owed a little bit. I'm sorry, the servant who owed a lot to the master and was forgiven the whole debt, all of it, wiped clean, and went out and had the person who owed him just a little bit thrown into jail until he could repay. What strikes me about all of this, well, where do I start? (laughs) Very few things are talked about in the same way as love and forgiveness, and we have been willing to overlook our lack of love because we haven't really qualified lack of love as a sin. We don't look at it that way. In fact, we tend to look at our lack of love as something that was earned by the other person. I'm not even sure that our unwillingness to love and forgive even registers often on our what we lack scale. And it's for this reason. I'm stepping on as many toes as I can today, but we're not quite done because remember, Facebook is still looming. It's for this reason. We feel a certain amount of righteous anger when we are wronged. And that righteous anger leads us to believe that we are right for feeling the way that we do, that our feelings were earned, and therefore it doesn't even count. But when I read these passages, I am pretty stunned by what they say to me. Um, And if anything, it would seem like my unwillingness to love and forgive is worse than whatever conventional, 
air quotes for those who are listening on the recording, conventional sins I might be trying to avoid. Jesus came to offer us forgiveness because he knew we needed it. He knew we could not overcome our sin. And so out of love, God sacrificed his son for us and forgave us for the things that we were powerless against. And God knows our limitations. God knows what we are capable of and not capable of. So why then would Jesus say that our forgiveness is dependent upon our willingness to forgive? And the floor I'm finding in this thing, which I really don't like, is that maybe forgiveness is my choice. That maybe loving is my choice. Am I going to do it perfectly all the time? No. But is there anything else in my life that I have given so much excuse to? Like I have my inability to love someone for some reason because they, and that's why. And I struggle with when the disciples came to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? And Jesus says, nope. Oh, good. Six? (laughs) No. He multiplies it. He multiplies what they brought, which you have to understand, what they brought they thought was a lot. But he multiplies that. And here's, here's what's hard. I can't forgive someone seven times, 70 times if I never speak to them. And if I'm never around them. And if I keep them at the end of this pole that I'm using to protect myself from them. I can't do it. Could it be that I have more control over my ability to love than I think I do? And is it possible that I'm telling myself I can't love like God does when maybe really I can? Or at least do better. So much is riding on my willingness to love other people. Everybody and their mother writes about politics these days. And so maybe you were paying attention to some of the things that happened this week. I want to be very clear about something. What I'm about to say is not political. I don't care who you support. I don't care who you voted for. I don't particularly care what you think about certain issues. But something came up this week that I have prayed about and prayed about and feel like I need to say something about this. We had the National Prayer Breakfast. And it's an event that has gone on for years and years and years, and everyone's invited. And something, something happened at the prayer breakfast this week. Um, and that is um, Nancy Pelosi got up, and she said a prayer. And she said that she prayed for the president during um, all of the impeachment stuff. Um, and then a man named Arthur Brooks, and... Uh, 
he was part of organizing the event and, and works for the Washington Post, he got up and he spoke for about 12 or 13 minutes. You can watch all of this online. It's all available to you. He got up for about 12 or 13 minutes and he read from the Sermon on the Mount. And he read what Jesus says about loving other people and he read what Jesus said about forgiving others and he read about what Jesus said about loving our enemies and praying for others around us. And he sat down. And the next person that got up was our president. And he got up and he said, Arthur, I don't know that I agree with you. And the room, which was filled with church leaders and politicians and other people, laughed and looked at each other kind of knowingly. And, and then the president went on and he listed out why he thinks Pelosi is full of it. He called out Mitt Romney. He called out anyone who stands against him and all the things that have gone wrong for him and how hard this has been. Now, whatever you may think about all of that, Here's what I want to share with you. The most powerful article I read about that this week was written in Esquire magazine, which is a magazine about men's fashion and different sorts of things. Make fun of me for that later. <laughs> but here's what the writer said. He said, President Trump was right in calling out Nancy Pelosi because Nancy Pelosi does not love him. And he said, I'm so grateful that the president reacted like he did, which that is not often written in Esquire magazine about our president. But he said, I'm glad that he acted like he did because this whole thing is a sham. This is not a prayer breakfast. This is a power breakfast. And used it to talk about how the church doesn't really love people in the way that Mr. Brooks spoke about and used this one event as an example for how off base <laughs> we have a problem and it's not a Republican problem or Democrat problem, it's a Christian problem. Because sometimes the church is unfairly judged by those outside of it and called names and not given a chance and held accountable for the Crusades or other sorts of things. I get it. I really do. But I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by what we saw because he was right. He was right. You're a bunch of people who talk about loving others like God, but you say whatever you want. And at a prayer breakfast, someone stood up and flat out said they didn't agree with the words, not of Arthur Brooks, but of Jesus. And the religious community laughed.
it strikes me that one of the things that we miss out in this area that spills over to everything that we see and talk about, everything we're going to talk about with these fruits of the Spirit and everything that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes it all boils down to this. The world sees us loving the way that we love and not the way that God loves. And even someone who has never stepped in the doors of a church before knows the difference. And we, as followers of Jesus, should stand apart from all this noise. Because Christianity doesn't have a president. It has a king. And we are not called, commanded, to be like everyone else, even the most powerful in the world around us. We are called and commanded to be like our God. If we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything, then it has to redefine the way that we choose to love other people. It has to. Or we don't believe that. But it strikes me that what I said all the way back at the beginning is more true now than ever, and that is I need help. I need help. Because my feelings get hurt, and people say things I don't agree with, And that's what makes Facebook so dangerous is because from the comfort of our own home or coffee shop, we can call someone a name or argue with them about the finer points of racism or social economics. I need help. Do you need help? I have good news for you this morning. Really good news. God knew that we needed help, and so he sent Jesus to this place to die for a bunch of losers (laughs) that he just loves desperately. You know, we're like the ugly dog in the kennel. (laughs) That every, all these other, you know, but the owner's like, I love that goofy, derpy dog. God sent his son to die for us because he loves us desperately and passionately and with all of his heart. And so Jesus came here to that place. But guess what? God knows that everything he has to offer this world can change it. But he also knows just because Jesus died for us, we are still going to struggle against the wall of ourselves. We are still going to believe that we deserve better than we're getting. That people should treat us with respect or this. He knows that we're going to keep accounts of all these different things that are happening. And he knows that we are going to fail to love in the way that we should, the way that he loves us. But he doesn't want us to be like that foolish servant who was given freedom from a mountain of debt and then held something so little against someone else. So what God says is, I will, spend my, I will send my Holy Spirit to live in you. And guess what? The Spirit will produce 
the fruit of love in your life. And it is going to look different. It's going to look different. Because you are going to be willing to love where other people will not be willing to love. And you are going to create community among the ashes of other people's lives and mistakes. You are going to raise others up where everyone else is pushing them down. And the reason why you do that is because Jesus Christ did that for you. Jesus Christ did that for you. And as the love of God fills us, as the Spirit lives inside of us, we can make different choices. We should. Because we don't follow everyone else. Thank God we don't follow everyone else. We are petty enough as it is. And I know, listen, I know that there are situations and circumstances that are hard to deal with that I am not trying to answer in these moments we have together today. And I know that there is hurt that is deep and ingrained in who you are. And I'm not suggesting you can just get rid of that because you wrote a name down on a piece of paper. But what if we tried I'm not saying you haven't. Don't get me wrong. But what if we renewed our efforts to be different people through the Spirit of God working in our lives? What if we walked the hard road of forgiving someone? The hard road of forgiving someone. Or what if we volunteer to walk with someone who needs to forgive us on the hard road? What if? Because you know what? You know what is so, like, on the other side of us walking that hard road is freedom. Freedom from carrying around the burden of not loving others. Freedom of, from making those choices and keeping people out of our lives. Freedom from keeping relationships that used to be important to us at arm's length. And listen, there may be nothing you can do about other people forgiving you. I get that. But what if we let the Holy Spirit of God produce fruit in our lives? And what if we let it start to change situations for us? What could happen what could happen? God could change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for these words, which are hard. Um, I don't particularly like them. But God, you are not calling us to just be like ourselves. You're calling us to be like you. And the love that you have poured out on us is so great. Forgiving a mountain of debt. Father, may we be those who love others like you love us. Will you give us wisdom to know how to start releasing the hurts that we are holding on to? 
And will you give us the boldness to begin to confront hurts that we've created in others? And Father, we know that none of these things are going to matter without your love guiding us and pushing us, without your Holy Spirit giving us what we need to love in a different way. And we ask for that. We ask for the fruit of love in our lives. That others may be changed and that we might be set free. In Jesus' name, amen.